Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So obviously this podcast is a day late from what I normally do, but if you all recall last week, I was speaking about how my neighbor decided to chainsaw down a bunch of trees in the front of his yard, which is his prerogative. I don't understand. We live in a nice little cul-de-sac where they left, instead of being one of these ones where the houses and lawns are right on top of each other, the ones who built it actually left strips of woods in between them. So it kind of gives you some privacy. And this person apparently decided they didn't want privacy. They wanted everybody to see their home. But anyway, they spent a lot of the day before chainsawing. And then luckily, I was able to get the podcast in last week. Well, that changed this week when I woke up, started, you know, did my morning rituals, got up here, went to record, hit the button to record. I swear it was like I hit the button here. And they fired up the industrial wood chipper that they had rented to now chip up all of the branches and sticks and everything they had from cutting down the trees. So that ran pretty much the entire day. I'm like, all right, if they stop at some point, like in the early afternoon, I'll get going. But I like doing these things earlier in the morning when I'm fresh. By the time they stopped, it was like five o'clock at night. The whole Sunday, it's all we heard. And so here we are on a Monday morning doing the podcast. So I apologize for those who look forward to it on a Sunday, but I did not want to have to try to edit out all of that noise in the background, and it was fairly loud up here. So today's topic, we're going to be talking a bit about when you stop worrying in the hobby. I think a lot of us get in the hobby, we're worry warts, so we can't help it. We, we're keeping animals, we're worried about the animal's well-being, and we did a whole podcast on, well, we kind of did one on overcaring when you got to go too far and you care for the animal to a point where you're actually being counterproductive, you're, you're putting the animal in danger by your caring. And then we did a podcast on crisis of confidence, those, those points where things are going wrong and you start wondering, should I be keeping anymore? And I always like to do one of these every once in a while to remind folks that although I've been doing this for a long, long time, I worry just as much as everybody else out there. I get a lot of emails from people going, hey, my spider is buried for a while. I'm freaking out. Hey, my spider just molted. It's molting face up. I'm freaking out. I know you probably are laughing at me. I'm never laughing because I go through this stuff quite a bit. I have my moments where I have my crisis of confidence, where I start wondering, should I be doing this anymore? And it stinks. It, it doesn't go away. And I think part of it is if you're in the hobby, you recognize that these aren't, this isn't collecting vinyl. It isn't collecting action figures. It isn't working on a car. You are working with living creatures that are depending on you for the best care possible. And when something happens to one of them, and we've talked many times about how tarantulas aren't the most expressive animals, it can be very difficult if something happens and one dies, it can be difficult to reconcile that fact. I think that if we are good, responsible keepers, we are going to exhaust every possibility for why that animal died in our care before we move on. Again, I've said before, it drives me nuts when people say, yep, this species died. Oh, well, moving on, they die. And they don't bother to do any type of examination of could it have been something I did in my care. And I've seen many over the years on YouTube videos where they post up images of a spider that's in a death curl and a bone dry enclosure and go, I don't know what could have happened. They just die sometimes. And you recognize, no, it died because it didn't have access to water, things like that. And I haven't seen a lot of those lately, so I don't want people freaking out. But there, there are a lot of examples out there of folks that just kind of go, eh, it died, move on, here's my next spider, here's a box I got, and it drives me absolutely nuts. So we should obviously be spending time trying to figure out, was there something I could have done differently? Could this have been my fault? Nobody wants to think that. Nobody wants to. I've had situations where I've had to look in the mirror and go, hey, you know what, this 
this died because you screwed up. And I hate those situations, but the again, the only good thing that comes out of them, you can bet your butt I'm not going to do it again. So I think if we're good keepers, we are going to obsess a bit over why things die. However, that can become, it can get to the point where it becomes too much, where you're not letting it go, where it's starting to kind of filter through the rest of your keeping because now you're looking at every single spider you keep going, what if this one's going to die? Is this one sick? Is this one, is there something wrong with this one? Should I have done this differently? Should I add more water here? Is this one too moist? And you start second guessing yourself. And that's when we talk about the overcare, the crisis of confidence. And it happens to me. It happens to me more than I would like to admit. You'd think after doing this for as long as I have been, and especially with the educational aspect of it, having the podcast, having the website, having the YouTube videos, I've spent a lot of time explaining this type of stuff to people. But it still happens to me. So I worry all the time about this kind of stuff. I'm keeping living creatures that are dependent upon me and I teach people. I'm I'm in the public teaching people. So talk about a crisis of confidence. Imagine you get, you're, you're in your own home and you lose some spiders and it's only you holding yourself responsible. Now imagine that it's not just, you know, your friends or your wife or your kids that you're explaining to why the spider died. It's all of the people you reach out to. I'm public. And yes, I put myself in that position, but it it feels really, really crummy sometimes when you lose something and you got to go out there and go, hey, I don't know what's going on with this. I've had videos where I post up where I've said, this is how I care for them, but just a heads up, I started with three, I have two, so do your research because there's always in the back of my mind that lingering doubt that I somehow caused that. So believe me, when people contact me with these types of stories, it hits home. I get it. I feel it. I just had somebody contact me recently all upset because they had a particular species. It was a five-kilobrocky species, I believe, and it had buried itself They were freaking out because it seemed like it had been buried for quite some time. So against their better judgment, they decided they were actually going to dig it up. And they're telling me this like they're embarrassed, like, don't judge me too much. I know you're going to be upset or whatever. And I wasn't because I've been here, believe me. But anyway, as they were digging up the spider, they found what they thought was the spider dead inside its burrow. As they were pulling it out to examine it, the actual spider burst forth from some of the substrate. They didn't see it ran out of the enclosure, and then in in their attempt to quickly cup it, they caught one of its legs, and it popped off one of its legs. So they dug it up. They, you know, we say this all the time. Don't dig them up. Don't dig them up. They dug it up, and in the process of the thing almost escaping, they heard it. Now, was I judging this person? No, not at all. I think they almost, the tone of it almost was like they wanted me to admonish them. I'm like, "You're you're coming to the wrong guy. I've been there. I mean, luckily, it didn't end that way per se, but I had a very similar situation to that that could have ended that way. That's one of those situations, and and to back this individual up even further, they said they did have a case a while back where they had a fossorial species. Everybody said, don't dig it up, don't dig it up, don't dig it up, it'll be fine. Months and months and months ago, they're they're moistening the substrate, they're keeping the moisture up top with the water dish, the whole nine, and finally they dig it up and they found the spider dead in the bottom of its enclosure. Now, is there anything they could have done about it? It sounds like no, no. 
But that that thought lingers. That's like a sliver in the back of your mind. It, it, it festers. It gets infected. And then that kind of taints and colors everything you do after that fact. Because next time something buries itself, guess what you have in your mind? The last instance that happened where the spider buried itself, you waited, and finally you dug it up, and it was dead. So I totally understood. I said I completely understood. I shared an example that I'm going to share today of me doing almost the exact same thing. As I know I tell people don't dig them up, we all have our moments. So I think today's podcast is more of me just coming, not coming clean at stuff I'll freely share with anybody, but kind of putting it in one spot of some recent things that I've done, some recent missteps that I've made, even though I've been in the hobby for a long, long time, things that I should have known better with that I could, that could have ended very badly. So to kick it off, just for folks who haven't maybe listened to all the podcasts or just starting here, there is a podcast way back that talks about the fact that there was a winter where I lost a lot of spiders. It was awful. It was the closest I ever came to quitting the whole Tom's Big Spider stuff. I almost wanted out of the hobby because I couldn't figure out what was happening. But basically, I was having a situation where spiders were either going into pre-molt, getting super fat, and then dying, or molting and not eating again and dying. It was the same thing with all of them. They would either molt and die almost immediately, or they wouldn't molt at all and die nice and super plump. It happened to a bunch of them. And it was eating me up. I was losing spiders I kept for some time. I was losing spiders I just picked up. It was, there was no, there were spiders that were kept dry. There were spiders that were kept moist. I was going nuts trying to figure out what could be happening. And the thing that finally started getting me thinking in the right direction was I had assassin bugs and they were reproducing. I was getting babies. So I made up like a little nursery for all the babies. Within a day, all the babies were dead. So I'm like, this is, this, something's wrong here. Something's really wrong. So I looked at the substrate. I had pulled some dirt out of a bag of topsoil I picked up. Very long story short, uh, the place I usually get topsoil from, it was wintertime. They had wrapped it all up and shrink wrapped it. So I went to a farm supply place where they were selling quote unquote organic topsoil. Well, when I examined it more closely, one of the bags was filled with a little green pellets that they use. They put in for fertilizer, I think. The other one, when you'd squeeze it out, it had this, like, the, the stuff that came out didn't look right. I think what happened was it was tainted with probably herbicide. They had taken it someplace where they had sprayed. And that, once I stopped using that substrate, my all my problems with my dead spider, mystery dead spiders went away. And the way I was able to figure it out is a lot of these spiders I had done recent rehousings or semi-recent rehousings with, and I was able to trace back looking at the videos, God bless YouTube videos, which of these spiders were on that substrate. So we went through, it was like, oh my gosh, it's every single one of them I'd done a rehousing with onto this substrate. So we took that substrate, dumped it in the woods. I never used it again. I shied away from topsoil for a while. And it was, I think I got a a farm and tractor supply, one of these tractor supply places, Agway, I think it was. So don't ever use Agway substrate ever. And lo and behold, we did, we had like one more death afterwards, but it was one that was already on it. I rehoused it, but I think it was too late. And that was it. So that period was the closest I came ever in this hobby of not only stepping away from all the public podcast stuff. But the hobby in general, because I felt like a fraud. I felt like, why? how can I go out here and tell people this is how you take care of your animals when mine are dropping like flies? Fast forward. Last spring, I had a lot of deaths. And they weren't, let's just make it very clear to defend myself here. 
a lot of them were older females that I've had for 10 to 12 years. They were older. They, it was old age. They were older. They had molted. They ate a little bit, weren't eating that great, and then wasted away, and it stunk. But I did have a couple that kind of shocked me. I had one that involved a Zenestis species white that I got, and I mentioned this, I think, early. I might have mentioned this in a YouTube video, but Zenestis species white was a species when I first saw pictures of it. It was like a dream spider for many, many years. Billy got me one for either Father's Day or my birthday. I can't recall which, but got it as a teeny tiny sling. It was eating great, doing great, rehoused a couple times. Couldn't wait to see this thing's colors. When it got older, it molted. It was a big gangly five inches, and I dropped a couple crickets in, walked away, came back a couple days later. I smelt something and didn't realize the crickets had drowned in the water dish and rod. So I'm like, oh, crap, this is terrible. So I pull them out, replace the water dish, drop a cricket right in front of them. It wouldn't eat. Now, this was weeks after it molted. They should have been, it should have been eating by now. Long story short, never ate again, wasted away, and died. There was nothing I could do about it. It was awful. It was, A, a spider that I couldn't wait to raise up, B, a very expensive spider, but just, C, I don't like losing anything. I don't care if it's something that I got for a freebie. I don't like losing spiders. So that one was in the back of my mind as well. And then I had a similar situation happen with an E. murinus. It was originally in a dram vial. It had molted out. It was too big for the dram vial, so I moved it into a 20-ounce deli cup. And again, tried to feed it, wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat. And then I came back and found it dead. It was just awful. I was like, couldn't figure out what the heck I had done. You start second guessing. I got, I was reading online because every time this happens, I look up online emurinous deaths and see if there's any commonalities between what other people are posting when I'm posting. I read one guy that said, yeah, I think people keep them too moist. I had another guy going, yeah, I think they keep them too dry. There was nothing really to glean from it. And then I had another one that almost died that I took out, kind of did the old tarantula ICU thing. It came back at eight and it was perfectly fine. But that was two out of three in the back of my mind. Like what is going on, Tom? That's got to be on you. So a couple regular deaths, a couple mysterious deaths. And as a result, these kind of put me in, I, I refer to it as death mode, where you're just expecting at that point that everything is going to die. I can't explain. Hopefully people understand what I'm talking about, but it's that thing where you lose a couple mysteriously and you start looking at your whole collection and your thought is, which one is next? And I hate that feeling. I loathe it. It saps the joy out of the hobby for me because I feel crummy as a keeper. I feel like everything, any moment I'm going to open something else and something else is going to be dead and I'm going to point the finger towards myself. And then that's when you start getting overcare. You start doing things you normally wouldn't do and you put your spiders at more of a risk. So I'm in death mode. I'm looking at every single thing that's going to molt. I'm freaking out that it's going to die. And then I had a couple instances that honestly, uh, it was a doofus move on my part, but it was because of this. It was because of my mindset that I was expecting things to go wrong. The first one happened when I came up, I was doing feedings and I went to feed my old Salma P.S. Cambridge-I, Trinidad Chevron, I think it is. And I've had this girl now for 12 years, I think. It's been a long time, 10 to 12 years. I have to double check. I think we'll say 11 years. Long time, old girl, grew super fast. She's getting older. But I opened up her enclosure, and there she was. She has like a log up against her, a piece of cork bark with some fake foliage on it. And she was hanging off the side of the log. One leg, her toe, a little toe claws were caught on it. And she was flopped over, kind of half on her side, legs akimbo, looking quite dead. They, uh, there was no molt mat that I could see. She was just hanging there like she had died and fallen over. Now, 
I've had, obviously, those other mysterious deaths. She is a little bit older. She's she's an older spider. So that was in the back of my mind. And then over the years, I've lost two arboreal species, and they were almost in the exact same position. One was my Pisolotheria ornata female. Same thing. I went to check on her. She had one claw hanging up. She was hanging off the side, obviously quite dead. And so I'm like, oh, no, this spider is dead. I can't believe it. Like, uh, is it because she was old age? Was it because something I did? So like a doofus, the first thing I do when I think something's dead is I usually have a little water bottle that I can spray, sprays a little jet out. I sprayed her, no movement whatsoever, sprayed her a little bit more. So then I took the back of a paintbrush, unhooked her toe claw. So she kind of flopped on the ground. She was kind of sideways, kind of shook the thing a little bit. She wasn't moving. I'm like, all right, she's dead. Uh, this stinks. So I took the enclosure, put the top back on and kind of set it on my table. That's where I put something that I, to remind me that I need to check on it in the morning, whether it was molting, whether it was one that I fed and wanted to make sure I got the, the prey item, whatever it may be. I put her on the table. Next day, I get home from school, go in, check on her. She molted. She was in molt. She was literally molting when I was messing with her. And I felt like the biggest idiot on the planet. I like first, the first thing I thought when I saw it was just relief. Like, oh my gosh, she's okay. It was just a mole. And then I realized how much I had messed with her during that period. Now, in my defense, the only time I've ever seen arboreals like that without a molt mat underneath them was when they were dead. They lose their ability to grip. They become weak. They slide off of whatever they're on. And sometimes those toe claws get hitched up. And I had some deaths earlier that, you know, in the back of my mind, I just lost some. She was older. Thought she was dead. She wasn't. I could have killed that spider. It was awful. And this is one of my favorites. Anybody that's watched my videos knows I feature quite a bit when I do like favorite species or whatever. She was on fastest growing species, things of that nature. So for all of you that beat yourself up for doing stuff like that, there is an instance where I flat out messed with a molting spider. And that's something you should never, ever, ever, ever do. It was stupid of me because even if she was dead, even if she was dead, there was nothing me futzing with her was going to that, that, that I was going to do messing with her was going to bring her back to life. What I usually do and what people should do is in a situation like that, take the spider, set it aside, check on it in a few hours. If they are dead, there's again nothing's going to change. You might end up having that odor the next day that tells you decomposition is set in. The spider's you know obviously quite dead. In other cases, you may have what I would have had if I had just taken it and put it back on the shelf. I would have come back the next day and found her molted and been like, whoo, glad I didn't touch her. So little, you know, reminder there, but then a little reminder that I screw up too. There's things that I do that I'm not proud of, that I'm embarrassed by, but I think they're important to share because I do think there's this idea out there and it drives me nuts because it's not just with me, it's with people out there that really probably don't deserve it where they see somebody that keeps these things publicly, whether it be on YouTube or podcast or whatever, and they think that these people are gods, that they never make any mistakes. They're perfect. When they make mistakes, they won't admit to it. No, no, no. We make mistakes. We are human. We are going to make mistakes. I like to pride myself on not making a lot of mistakes, but every once in a while, I make a humdinger. So there's an example there, and hopefully the individual that sent me that email that we had the back and forth with is hearing this because I'm hoping it'll be something that'll make people feel a bit better because what happens is if you if you become too guilty, if you succumb to that guilt that I did something wrong, I screwed up, I killed my spider, and I've been privy to some really terrible, tragic stories of people messing up and having it result in the death of a spider, they are beating themselves up so badly that it can ruin the hobby for them completely. Now, should you admonish yourself for screwing up? I mean, it depends on how egregious it is. If it's a situation where you really should have known better, 
yeah, I you tell yourself you should know better. This is bad, but then you do better next time. I mean, it's one of those deals where some of us have to make a mistake once to remember never to make the mistake again. So there's one of the instances. Another one, this was, again, during the same kind of period or in the beginning of the summer. I have two Sednak Nemus, Brocky Ramosa, Malaysian blue femur, I think it is. Hold on, I'm going to cheat and look on uh, Malaysian blue femur. Good. I actually had to Google that one. I'm terrible at the common names. But anyway, I bought them from my friend Aaron. And I, when I get spiders from somebody, I want them to trust me with those spiders. And I want to always be able to report the spiders are thriving in my care. The last thing I ever want to do is have somebody ask, hey, how are the spiders I sent you? How are the spiders you bought for me? And me have to say, they're dead. I killed them. Whether I did or not, that's how I feel. So I have two of them. I love them. I'm hoping to get a female. My male, if you guys recall, speaking of terrible things that have happened, I went to feed it. Its burrow was open. I dropped in, I believe, a cricket, a small cricket. Cricket went, I turned around, cricket's gone, must have grabbed it, no problem, put it back up in the shelf. A few days later, I open it up, it might have been even a day later, and the spider is on the top of the surface, it had just molted. One of its legs was missing, and the cricket was basically devouring it. So awful, awful situation. So I had these two that I got, hoping to get a lady. Long story short, I went in to check on them and I noticed that one of them, the enclosure, I always keep the substrate moist. Its water disc was still a little bit moist, but it looked like the substrate had dried out a bit. We had a couple really hot, dry days and I was freaking out because there was still some moisture in the back, but not as much as I normally would have preferred. So I went out, add some moisture to it, dropped in a prey atom and there was no bite. Nothing came out. These guys usually run out immediately and grab the prey atom. So I'm waiting. I kind of pushed the prey atom to the front of its enclosed, the uh, den where it's webbed up, which was not closed up nothing biting. So normally what I would do in that situation is either kill the prey atom, leave it in the front just in case, or take the prey atom out, try it again later. But because I had had some mysterious deaths, the I'm in death mode again, in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's dead. You killed it. It was too, it got too dry. You it didn't go find the water dish and now it's dead and it's all your fault. And you're going to have to tell your friend that you killed the spider that you bought from her. So freaking out, I put it back on the shelf. I'm like, I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. I go downstairs. I'm talking to Billy. I'm like, yeah, I'm really worried. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, what if it's dehydrated, but it can't get out to get to the water dish and it's in there and I could save it. This is how your mind works when you when you start losing your confidence, when you start letting that get to you, that seep in and kind of taint your thoughts, poison your thoughts. What if right now it's up there on its last leg and if I find it and put it on some moist paper towels, it'll drink, come back to life and I can go, oh my gosh, thank gosh I was able to save this thing in time. So sat down, I think I went to play a video game, couldn't even focus on it. I'm like, forget it, I'm doing this. So I go upstairs, I grab the container. It was one of those latch containers I use for my juveniles, the ones from Sterilite, smaller ones. I get my basin that I use and do all my rehousings in. I open it up. And I start taking things out. I grab the tongs. I pull the little plant out with all the webbing and some stuff. I take that out. I start digging in there. I get to the bottom of the substrate and I see a leg. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And sure enough, there is what I think is, it was a moist spot, which was good because it wasn't as dry as I thought. There is the spider. It looked like it started to decompose. And I was like beside myself like, this is awful. Well, as I'm starting to dig this body out, what I think is a body out, out of the corner of my eye, the webbing and stuff that I pulled out of the enclosure, I see it twitch. And all of a sudden, a little spider comes out of it. 
It wasn't the spider. It was the molt. The spider was in its little web sock that it created, and I had just completely disrupted its whole evening by pulling it out. So luckily, the spider gets out. It I don't know if I breathe on it or what. It started to bolt. I was there with a catch cup. I was able to cup it. I had to put its whole enclosure back together, kind of make another starter burrow, put a little extra substrate in. I ripped its whole home up. It, I don't know. Luckily, it looked like it molted a little while before, but the reason why it wasn't eating is it wasn't ready to eat yet. It had just molted. So had I done that and discovered that a few days earlier, I might have interrupted an actual molt, which could have resulted in the death of the spider. So did anything bad come of it? No. In my situation, I was able to put the spider back in, put the enclosure back together. She ate a couple days later. Everything was fine. However, that could have been tragic, and it, I have to go back up to the original comment I was talking about with the individual that did the exact same thing I did, and his spider got out. The only difference was when he tried to get the catch cup over because you're in panic mode there. You're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting this to happen. He caught its leg and lost his leg. Same thing could have happened to me. That spider could have been out over the table. What if I hadn't noticed it was in there and I the spider had gone and run when I wasn't looking and gotten away and I never would have known it. So there was a lot that could have happened. It was one of those ones where it's like when you just avoid a car accident and your adrenaline's pumping thinking about how bad that actually could have been. It was one of those situations where it kind of sticks in your head. So that was two situations. They weren't that far apart, I, I think maybe a month apart, where I goofed up, I gave into the insecurities I was feeling because of those other deaths and did things that absolutely could have resulted in the deaths of my spider. I would have killed them. There would have been no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I would have been doing this podcast going, let's let's today talk about how Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders killed his spiders for being a doofus and not listening to his own advice. So there are two instances for folks out there that are having these situations where I have done it recently. Another similar instance, molting spider, me freaking out. However, I used this, these recent events as kind of a reality check to go, dude, knock it off, relax. And so anyway, let me just get into the story. I have a Theraphosanized species, pure female that I absolutely adore. And uh, Thrixopelma longicoli, apparently it is now, supposedly. Anyway, love this spider. Uh, really just one of the cool ones that I've had that I you know picked up, didn't know much about. And, and she's got green on I love the green. Long story short. I go to feed her uh, about, oh God, a month ago, and she takes a cricket, eats a cricket, no problem, awesome. I come back in two days later, she's at the front of her enclosure, laying at a very, very odd angle. Some of her legs, one side of her legs were curled in underneath her, like a death curl. A couple of the other ones were reached out around her. She was almost completely upright. And when I looked closely, it almost looked like her carapace had started to pop. There was fluid leaking out underneath her. There was like a puddle and she looked quite dead. Now, in this case, I recognize it looked like she had been trying to molt. And what happens is when they molt, a lot of times you'll see that fluid underneath and it kind of panics you because if it's clear, it's the stuff they pump up, they pump in between the old and new skin. So basically they put water, you know, pump the moisture in between it. That allows them to slip out of it like lubricant, and a lot of times they'll lose a little bit of that moisture as it trickles out, but this was a pretty decent-sized watery puddle. It was upright. That was another problem. Tarantulas, for the ideal way to molt, is they go on their back and pull themselves out. This was upright, and the carapace was popped. It looked like it was popped and nothing doing. So I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? So I took the enclosure off the shelf, and I set it on the table, and I thought the spider was dead. I, I came back up several hours later. It hadn't moved. I took a picture of her. Came back up, looked at the picture. It hadn't moved. I'm like, 
she's dead. She's stuck in the mall. Something went wrong. Should I check on her? And then I remembered. I'm like, A, you never touch a spider when it's molting. There's nothing. If the molt has gone bad at this point, there is nothing I'm going to be able to do likely at this point to save or fix it. But if it's not going bad and she's just taking her time molting, I'm going to kill her. So as much as it took some self-control, I just left. Like I said, I leave them on my little cart there, the one I do my videos on, pushed it aside and said, I'm going to leave it alone. And I came downstairs, told Billy, I'm like, I think my Thrixapelma longicoli female is dead. It's stuck in a mole. I was so disappointed with it. And I tried to stay out of the tarantula room the rest of the night so I wouldn't do something stupid. Because again, it's in the back of your mind. It scratches at you like we can actually do anything. At that point, there's nothing you can do. So I come back home from work the next day. I almost texted my son. He was home and I was like, can you go check on the spider? But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wait till I get home because I don't want to hear the answer. I want to see it for myself. So I get home from work. I go up, immediately go up to the tarantula room, look in her enclosure. She's fine. She molted. She did molt upright, which again is not ideal. I've had other spiders do it and have some issues after the fact. She actually did have a molt mat under her. I'm not sure if I said she didn't. She did have a molt mat under her. That's one of the first signs I saw that she was molting. However, usually when they do the molt mat up the side of the enclosure, they use it to flip over, and she hadn't flipped over. So apparently, she's fine. She just, I fed her before I started doing this podcast. She's been eating great. She's doing fine. But another instance where had I acted on my instincts, which were false, because again, I had in the back of my mind those other instances with spiders having bad molts and dying and things. If I had done anything to her, if I tried to flip her over, if I'd messed with her, I probably would have ended up killing her. So another instance there of your insecurities getting the best, you're almost getting the best of you. But in this situation, this is how you turn it around. I thought back when I was looking at her and I was about to do something, I thought back on that P camera jai and went, what are you thinking, man? You, you just went through this and you almost it was almost a catastrophe. So I was able to back off. Never touch. There is really no reason... If a spider's completely, you think a spider's completely stuck in the mold, if it's molting upright, don't flip it over, don't touch it. You just have to hope things go well. A lot of times, although when they molt upright, it's not ideal. A lot of times they'll go through the molt okay. I did have a Zenesta species recently or semi-recently that molted upright and it's not quite right now. The back legs seem to be a little bit atrophied. They're not able to move very well. It's not as coordinated. I have it in a smaller enclosure now where I pre-kill stuff and feed it. It's eating great. I'm hoping that with the next one, it'll go better, but that's in the back of my mind. I had somebody that told me years ago, they had a Gramostola rosea that kept molting upright and lost a leg one of the times, and then one of the times she never got out of the molt, which that is always stuck in the back of my mind and scared me. But unfortunately, if they do that, there's really not much you can do. I never encourage people to flip them over. I mean, I guess it's a calculated risk. I, I know one guy emailed me years ago and said he flipped it over, but he never got back to me on how it went. But I digress. That's a situation where you have to kind of lean back on your experience and recognize you need to keep your hands off. Let it go through its natural course and what happens, happens. So there's a couple or a few instances, two where I screwed screwed up, totally screwed up and messed up. But another one where I was able to reel myself in and go, all right, enough already. You know what you're doing. Let this thing go. And I was glad I did. So People ask me, when do you get over this this type of feelings? I don't know because I haven't gotten over them yet. If I lose something, if something dies, even like I said, the ones that died earlier this in the spring were ones I'd had for many years. I knew it was coming. It was old age, but that still gets in the back of your mind. You still, if you're one of those people that questions death, you start going, all right, is there anything I could have done differently to keep them alive for a little longer? 
it can just turn into such a vicious cycle where one dies, another one dies, and then you start doing things to make other ones die. So we always got to be careful. We got to be diligent. It's good that people reach out because I've had people reach out before they do this stuff and I've shared these stories with them and tried to calm them down and said, listen, just let it go. Let it run its course. Try to try to remember that you've done this before. If you've, if you've gone through your mental checklist and there's nothing you could have done differently as far as husbandry, then sometimes this stuff does happen. There are situations where spiders just don't make it. A lot of times it's slings. Sometimes it's older specimens. It might not be anything to do with the husbandry. The trick is to find that balance and mental balancing act where you're concerned enough about it to go through that checklist and say, is there, is there anything I could have done differently? Did it need more moisture? Did the water dish, was it empty and the substrate dried out? Did I keep it too moist? Was there not enough airflow? Whatever it may be. But then after you exhaust all those possibilities, you have to be able to kind of take a step back, put it in the back of the mind and walk away from it because otherwise it, it builds up, it festers and then you get a situation like these ones I shared here today where you've been doing this for a long, long time and you still make those bonehead decisions that could cost you spiders. Now, personally speaking, I don't think I'll ever get over this. I think it's always going to be something I'm going to wrestle with as long as I'm in the hobby. If something dies, you know, getting that feeling that it's on me, I can't help it. I put a lot, and, and it's it can be unhealthy, but I do put pressure on myself when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm talking to people, explaining how to keep things. You can't tell people, hey, this is how you keep this spider when you know that you have one out of your two died. That's the way I see it. For years, people have been asking me to do updates on P. muticus care. And the reason I haven't done it is because I killed more P. muticus than I managed to keep alive. I, to be completely honest, I had slings that I put into 32-ounce deli cups. They dug all the way down the bottom. Everybody said, don't dig them up, don't dig them up. You know, never dig up a spider. They'll come up, they'll eat if they're hungry. They never came up, they never ate, and they died. And then I had the two juveniles that I got. Almost the same thing happened with them. Luckily, they I figured it out. I took them and put them into more shallow enclosures where they could easily find the prey. And they both matured male. They were fine. But until I'm able to raise up slings and show the correct way it's done, I'm not going to do a video on that because it would be a lot of me going, hey, I killed the first ones I have. It's, that's what gets in the back of my mind. And that's what I like to think in some way helps people trust what I'm saying, because if something goes wrong, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, this isn't a species you want to go to me for. I've, I've said that as far as P. muticus is concerned, like, listen, my juveniles ended up doing okay once I got the hang of it, but I would do some research and talk to somebody else about how to care for them until I'm able to do it. So I definitely do want to get more slings at some point to show that I can raise them up so I can address this and address the depth of substrate issue again in a more current video. That old, that other one is old. I think it might've been, 2016 or so. I think it was the first time I ordered from Tom Patterson, as a matter of fact. So that just my two cents. It happens to all of us. I think it happens to those of us who actually care about these things as animals. For those that don't and don't see any value in their life, and there are unfortunately those folks out there, you, you'll run into on message boards, you run into them on not a lot of them on message boards. You'll see some of them, they put in uh, YouTube content where it's like, oh, this one died today. Anyway, I got a box from somebody else and they don't care because it's for them, it's it's about showing something off and making money off it. There, Sadly, there are people out there like that, but I think the majority of us are the types that we beat ourselves up over this, and we can't do that too much because that can lead to even worse consequences. It can ruin the hobby, basically. It's, it's a great way to completely suck the joy out of something when you're that worried about killing something. I know, I know, because I've had it happen to me a couple times, so... Hopefully that helps some folks out as far as if you've made, you know, feel free to come forward with any 
missteps you've made or situations similar to these that you have done. Hopefully you've learned from them like I have. I mean, it's it, it informs how we do things. When you have a situation like that and you screw up and you're able to recognize it afterwards, it should change your behavior afterwards. You should recognize it as much as every instinct's telling you do this, you know better. You know better than that. So please feel free to chime in with your own situations that you've experienced like this or your own thoughts on the topic. As far as uh, YouTube's concerned, I just posted up a video featuring uh, Tarina Kylis, Muranis, Tet that I put up. Speaking of YouTube, I'm going to share this because it's just going to be a vent. So if you want to turn the main podcast is done. If you want to sh- stop it here, it's going to be me venting. But somebody has to hear this, and the podcast people should appreciate it. YouTube now has a feature that you can post podcasts. And basically, the way it goes is you have to post them as a video, which is ridiculous. And if you post them as a video, it makes you select podcasts. It makes its own playlist for the podcast. And then supposedly that playlist will go to YouTube Music, and you can find the podcast on YouTube Music. So that's one thing. Like right now, I got my podcast on Spotify, Amazon, all these different places, any place you can get the podcast, but there's nothing for YouTube because they, of course, have to have their own way of doing it. So for a while, I've been toying with this because I think it'd be another great place for folks that do use YouTube Music to be able to find the podcast. That's what it's about. I don't think necessarily my YouTube audience is my podcast audience, so I don't like to post them on the main page. If folks remember, a while back, I had the great idea that I created my own YouTube channel for the podcast. Didn't get to it for a while, locked myself out of it, can't figure out even how to sign into it, where it is, or it's just up there in YouTube limbo and I can't get into it. But I thought I heard this and they're like, yeah, now you can mark them as podcasts and it won't mess with like your stats or I thought wouldn't be in your video feed or whatever, it would just be in your podcast feed. So what I did is I spent the last week trying to get all of episodes, the first season's episodes, all, what is it, 52 of them up on YouTube and I was waiting to make them public until I had all of them up, because I really, season one, I think it's painfully awkward, I hate listening back to them, because I had no idea this whole podcasting was an experiment that I didn't think would last two or three podcasts, and when I listen to them, I think the information's good, the recordings are abysmal, they're awful, they're hissy, my voices, my S's whistle the entire time, they are just not good quality recordings, so I really wanted to get like one up there and just say, hey, these are the old ones, and then try to get into season two, and then I think it's halfway through season two where I get a better microphone, I get a little bit better at the production on them. I loaded up, I spent most of the weekend, my tarantula time, loading up these podcasts. Now, what I had to do was load the original audio up, I had to replace my original Tom's Big Spiders theme because now that one was sold and now they copyright check me every time they use it and put ads on them. I didn't want that. So I had to replace it with my new theme, add a little thumbnail in that showed like whatever the episode name was. So I had Photoshop open. So I keep changing the number, you know, episode 1.1, episode 1.2. I had this huge process where I was basically churning these things out. I get them all up into the podcast and I have them unlisted and I'm waiting to put them all at the same time finally get all them up. I put my video up with my P. Muranus tet, and then I go through and I start changing all the unlisted ones to listed. I'm like, this will be great. They'll all be up there. People can, you know, if they want them, great. If not, they'll be on YouTube or YouTube music. Then I go back to my main page. They all show up under videos. When you post a video on YouTube, they have that main video little tab up top that you can click and see whatever your person's posted up. So what'll happen is sometimes people will see one of your videos on the main page. And they'll go, oh, what else is he posted? And they'll go through it. 
every one of these podcasts would have showed up there. It would have blocked out all my videos. All it would have been is podcasts. And I don't want those on the main page. Those are something different. It's supposed to be different. So apparently YouTube hasn't come up with a way yet for you to post your podcast without the podcast showing up on your video feed, which I don't want. So currently they're all unlisted. I went back and unlisted them all so they wouldn't show up there because I didn't want it blocking up the videos. The videos are my focus of YouTube. This is supposed to be, there's a little tab up there for podcasts. You're supposed to be able to click that and see all the podcasts. So right now they're all unlisted. People are finding them, which is great, but they're not on YouTube music. So I can't figure out what I'm going to do with that because if I go mass, I'm still loading them up. I'm on season two now. There'll be a point where there's going to be 300 episodes up there. That would be like the entire I don't even know if I have 300 videos up. Somebody that clicked on my channel and went look at videos, all they would see is podcasts, and that's not what I want. So I feel like I wasted a bunch of time on this. I think what I'm going to continue to do is upload them, and hopefully at some point along the line, YouTube changes something or comes up with a way that you can post them that they do not appear on your main video feed because until they do, I will not be making them uh, live. I will not be making them public, in which case I don't think they will show up on the YouTube music, which means all of this was for nothing. So really frustrated about that. And, you know, it just seemed like a big waste of time where I could have been doing videos. I had a couple other rehousings that Billy and I had to do, but instead I was doing this, spent the entire Saturday from about nine o'clock in the morning to about three o'clock in the afternoon uploading these things only to have that be the outcome. So if anybody out there is YouTube savvy and knows there's a way to keep them from showing up in your main feed, excuse me, please let me know. I'd be eternally grateful to be able to have these up there. If not, they will stay in their little YouTube tab that says podcast in their little playlist and they won't be activated until something changes. And if something doesn't change, they won't be activated at all. So there, thank you for listening to me. I feel better. Billy had to listen to this on our walk yesterday. I was so upset about it. Like I spent all this time and it doesn't work. So fingers crossed YouTube actually does something about it. Um, that will do it. The other thing I wanted to remark on is I was on Instagram the other day. What is going on with the tarantula handling and putting tarantulas on your face stuff? I, I get, I obviously follow a couple tarantula people and it's like every time I turn around now, it's somebody, you know, allowing people to let them crawl on their faces. They're standing there with them on their faces. Why are we doing this again? And the people that are doing it, it's shocking. It's like, what do you hope that it, it's an obvious attempt to grab people and grab followers on Instagram? It just drives me absolutely nuts because they're not toys. Like uh, some of them, it looks like they're at shows and there's people letting them handle them at shows, which I've had people like, yeah, sometimes it's a good way. You're at a show, you're trying to draw attention to your table. If you're letting tarantulas climb on people's hands, that's going to draw people over. I, I guess I get that respect. But then I see ones where they like run off their hands and they're running across the table, scooting towards a drop that's going to lead to certain death. They're on people's faces. They're in their hair. Drives me absolutely nuts. So there, two venting. I had to vent about that because I was on Instagram the other day and it's like, I'm going to start unfollowing people because I'm tired of seeing this crap come up. Like they're not toys. We just went through, a, I, I feel like this is timely because I went through a whole podcast of how I value them so much as animals that it kills me when something happens to them. They die. I blame myself. But then we have people unnecessarily putting them in situations that could ha result in one of them dying or biting somebody or herring them in the face, whatever it may be. It's just a bad situation. So there, I had to vent about that real quick. We'll keep it. I try to keep it positive, but I had to vent about that. That'll do it for this one, guys. As always, you can find me on Thomas Expires the podcast, thomasbixpires.com, YouTube, again, that P. Muranis Tet video, and the podcast, if you want to dig for them and find them under the podcast tab. Oh, it's still annoying me. Like, I plan on doing more of them today. I have today off, and I plan on doing more of them, and I don't even know if I feel like doing it now, because what's the point? But 
That'll do it for me. As always, guys, have a great one. Stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.